Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Today, we are finishing our series called Trending, where we've been dealing with some of the biggest topics in this political season today. Our guest speaker is Scott Marrier. He is a member of our board here, and he's also executive director of Westerville Area Resource Ministry. And uh, about six weeks ago, we got together for breakfast, or maybe eight weeks now before the series, and uh, he talked about some of the stuff that he's actually involved in, and it is a big trending topic in our culture today around aging and health care and other things of that nature. And I think it's really a powerful thing. I know I, I want you to really listen carefully, not just to what he's saying about what's, what we're facing in our culture today, but I want, to, I want you to listen with a prayerful attitude of, of seeing how God, I think, has a tremendous ministry ahead for us as people in the church and how to impact our culture. So do you welcome Scott. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. You know, this morning, as Ross mentioned, I'd like to talk to you about a subject that doesn't generate much thoughtful discussion in these busy times that we live in, but it's important to all of us. It's an issue of aging, and before you turn a deaf ear because you don't think it affects you, you need to consider, reconsider, because it affects every one of us. And here's why. Every one of us is growing older by the minute. Don't you just hate that? There's no escaping it. Time is continually marching on. It's a respecter of no person. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, but, you know, I'm only 18 or I'm only 25. Why should I care? Well, I like the way Arthur Morgan framed it. He said this. I think I got a slide for that. Preparation for old age should begin no later than one's teen years. A life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not suddenly become fulfilled on retirement. He's really pointing to the issue of all of us have a purpose that we need to live out. We need to be conscious of it. Now listen, age is not a number, but it is a process. God's word says it this way in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and the witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people making the most of the time using every opportunity. Today, let me tell you, America stands in the cusp of an unprecedented expansion of our senior population. This is a major trending issue that is imposing strains on the very fabric of our culture. The graying of America is having an impact on healthcare, our housing systems, and the nation's fiscal condition. Unfortunately, despite the high stakes, public policy has failed to keep pace. As a country, we've underestimated the profound nature of this demographic shift, this demographic transformation that's now underway. And as a result, the United States is dramatically unprepared for the challenges that we're now facing. I read an article recently that there's two, um, there's two countries in all of the domestic um, first world countries around the, around the world that don't have national policy on, on aging and, and uh, taking care of the elderly. The United States is one. The other country is Turkey. I'm not sure we're in very good company in relation to that. And I think it's a wake-up call to us as a nation. Um, 
few people realize that our country is in the midst of a huge demographic shift, and it's the one that it's the likes that we've never seen before in our lifetime. The nation is collectively growing older. Millions of Americans are also living further into our senior years without suffering from uh, terrible diseases or debilitating illnesses, enjoying what experts call the longevity dividend. We're just living longer. And this is from favorable results as it relates to improvements in health care, in um, our awareness on, on uh, procedures, safety procedures, and uh, technology as well. Better nutrition contributes to that as well. Well, but here's a sobering fact. When I first heard it, it absolutely just blew my mind. A study conducted by Pew Research and confirmed by U.S. Census data found that each day approximately 10,000 people turn age 65 in our country. This is the baby boom generation, which represents 78 million Americans who were born between the years of 1946 and 1964. That's an 18-year time span. The study goes on to point out that at this rate of 10,000 people a day turning 65, and that'll continue until the year 2030, that's another 14 years. Now, when you do the math, it means that by year 2030, the number of older adults in the United States is going to exceed 74 million people. This represents near a doubling of the senior population in a mere 20-year time span. And uh, by the year 2050, um, the number will grow to over 88 million. And, and that's, uh, take a look at that graph on that census data, and it's just going like this. Seniors are expected to make up an increasingly larger share of the overall population, accounting for more than one in every five people, or over 20% of the United States population by the year 2030. Now, by contrast, fewer Americans, fewer than one in 10 Americans were seniors just not too long ago. In addition, um, individuals who are 85 or older represent the largest, the fastest growing um, segment of the population that exists today. So here's some challenges we're facing. Without a comprehensive and sustained national response, the well-being and the safety of millions of older folks will be jeopardized by some of the following realities. One is the current supply of housing that is affordable to the lowest income seniors is woefully inadequate. And if you think we can build enough retirement homes to keep up with it, think again. It's a fraction. It barely scratches the surface. And as more low-income people enter into their later years, this supply of shortages is going to become even more acute. Um, second, the overwhelming majority of seniors say they wish to age in place. 88% say they'd like to live out their years where they're most comfortable, which is in their home or in the context of their community. Yet, most homes and communities lack structural features and support services that make ind living independently a safe reality. Uh, the third thing is about 70% of adults over 65 years of age will eventually require help with simple everyday living functions. Things like bathing, food preparation, dressing, transportation, and... Uh, uh, medical management, medication management specifically. This type of assistance is returned, referred to as long-term services and support, or if you're reading any of the literature, this LTSS. 
And incidentally, just as a side note, uh, Medicare does not cover long-term services, though the cost of these are astronomical and put huge financial burdens on already stressed senior households. And uh, if you think long-term care insurance is going to do it for us, uh, I got news for you. Um, less than 3% of Americans today have any type of long-term health care insurance. Um, it's just too unaffordable. And so it's not really a realistic strategy. Uh, the fourth challenge here is personal savings are a crucial source for retirement funding, but millions of uh, aging adults, um, for them, these savings are going to fall way short. Um, they're not going to cover housing or modifications to make homes safer or more age-friendly, much less pay for health care, long-term services, and other just essential living needs. So, you know, without a national commitment, one that involves not just the government, but also involves the private sector, we need to engage the philanthropic community, and we need to engage the church, especially the church universal. Um, far too many people will find their senior years to be ones of increasing stress and instability. This aging trend represents to us uh, presents with uh, presents us with a tremendous challenge that will affect virtually every sector of our society places added pressure on already strained household and public budgets and even more stress stress and responsibility on families and friends, every one of us who care for our aging parents or aging loved ones. Um, I remember a story that uh, happened. Tom Charlie is here this morning. And uh, Tom told me about a time where he was caring for his father. His father was going through some, some knee replacements. And uh, Tom went to visit with him down in Florida and uh, Tom recognized the shift from the parent-child relationship where Tom, who was the child and his father was the adult, shifted in that interaction. Do you remember that conversation, Tom? I'll never forget that, where Tom became the caretaker of the parent and his father became the child. Why that is so etched in my mind is that about a year later, my own father had a stroke. And when I went to visit him, I saw that same shift move from me being the child to me being the advisor and the, and the caretaker. I'll never forget that, Tom. That was a great lesson that you, that you shared with me so that I could see it and realize what was happening. But you know, these challenges also come great opportunities. We have a chance to enhance the quality of life, the dignity of life, the sanctity of life for everyone, regardless of age, who anyone who stands to benefit from a healthier and more engaged senior population. You see, this is much more than a financial issue. This is a human issue. This is a moral issue. This is a faith issue. And, and as we choose and how we choose as Christians and as a church, our own Christian community will just speak volumes about what we really believe and how we believe it. Our actions will just speak volumes about how we're going to respond. Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, and verses 34 through 40. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, you favored of God, appointed to his eternal salvation. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. 
with help and ministering care. I was in prison and you came to me ignoring personal danger. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we, did we see you as a stranger invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, I assure you most solemnly, to the extent that you did it for one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you also did it for me. Well, what else does the Bible say about aging and growing old? Well, throughout the scripture, God's word presents growing as a normal, natural part of life. It tells us here to, to honor in, uh, that honor is involved in the aging process because growing old is, is normally accompanied by increased wisdom and some experience. You finally get some sand in your shoes because you've been around the block for a while. Proverbs 16.31 says it this way, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's attained by a righteous life. Proverbs 29 or 20.29 tells us the glory of the young is their strength. Of the old, it's their experience. It's their seasoning. It's their wisdom. So the Bible invests a lot of energy, a lot of thought, into the aging process with this idea of dignity and grace. So as Christ followers, um, you know what? We're compelled to do the same. The sanctity of life is a core Christian value because God's word establishes it as sacred. Genesis 1.27 says it this way. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. So to be created in the likeness of God means that each of us bears his image and with it a value beyond our unique characteristics or our individual attributes. Now, contrary to the cultural messages that we hear, our personal value is not determined by our ethnicity, by our race, or by our gender. It's not determined by our age, our ability, our skill sets, our economic status, or the location where we live. It's our divine membership in the human family of God that sets us all apart, each of us, as sacred. And the Bible goes on and teaches us that people of every age group should be respected regardless of their mental capacity, their physical ability, or their social position. Even some people who may not exhibit attributes of God or behave in ways that recognize their own value, and we all know some people like that, don't we? Yet their intrinsic worth remains because why? Because they matter to God. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us. You see, human dignity is is bestowed upon us by our creator. It's not based on our own ability to care for ourselves or our own competence to complete the task. It's something that's God-given. And, and I think today our failure to recognize and honor human dignity is, a, is apparent. We hear phrases these days like quality of life and right to die or death with dignity. Um, this idea of dependency is often viewed as the ultimate weakness. Yet the scripture says something completely different, that we're totally to be surrendered to God and to him alone. Unfortunately, most of our society worship the idea of productivity and beauty. 
it's constantly reinforced by the emphasis on how to get more done, multitasking, how to look thinner, younger, faster, stronger. The list goes on and on. And we've developed a disposable mentality in our country. Even most products produced today um, have a, a limited lifetime so that when you use it, you just throw it away and you buy another one. This consumerism starts to take over our life. Um, so we, we tend to throw things away when they're no longer useful. Unfortunately, that's, that's bleeding over into how we treat people, where you're no longer productive, so we just put you away someplace. We just dispose of you because you really don't, um, you, you're not meaningfully contributing anymore. That's a sad testimony. These attitudes increase the pressure for the acceptance of man-made solutions to the problems of suffering, things like physician-assisted suicide or the, the issue of euthanasia fall into this category. Do you realize that already today, five states in America have um, legalized physician-assisted suicide? Oregon was the first, and it was followed by um, Washington, Vermont, Montana, and most recently, California. I believe that what the abortion issue was for my generation the issue of euthanasia will affect the millennial generation. Personally, um, I think we each have a vested interest in this idea of biblical discipleship. Now, maybe it's just my own desire for uh, self-preservation, but I'm really concerned about who's going to be pushing my wheelchair. And I don't want them to push it off the cliff if I'm no longer useful. Right? I mean, we're a heartbeat away from me deciding when I die and you deciding when I die. And yet our country is already going down that path. It's scary, isn't it? The physical, emotional, and spiritual ramifications of humans playing God is more than dangerous. It's deadly. It's deadly physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. We cannot play God. So instead, let me offer some alternatives. How about as believers, we provide a compassionate response to those who are disabled or face terminal illness? How about as Christians, we put more faith in God and follow his instructions? What would the world look like if we extended and shared the love of Christ with those who were in most need? I think the world would look better. That's the salt and light that we're called to, to, to share. Think about this. What if somebody decided that Pablo Picasso or Michelangelo, can I see that slide? Or Mother Teresa, still producing in their 80s and 90s, uh, were determined that they had no future when they became 70 years old. It's ridiculous. As believers of the redemptive Christ, the one we sing about, the one we worship, we need to accept, as he does, the process of aging with grace. I understand that it's not easy to lose the trappings of youth. But remember, the signs of age are marks of dignity. Every time I look at my hands and I begin to see my own age spots, I have to remind myself those are marks of dignity. I read a quote that says, uh, it's the sick person who really knows what health is, and it's the older person who really knows and appreciates what youth is. You really uh, don't have it until you've lived through it. Listen, God has written aging into the code of our, of our very bodies. Uh, why should we fight against him in this? 
Now, later this week, I, I want to just ask you to, to do something later this week. And that is um, read what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 about this subject. I don't have time to go there today. I wish I did because it's really, it's really powerful. Just do yourself a favor and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. So let me ask you as we move on, why should we buy into the culture view of beauty and youth, which sees gray hair as ugly and wrinkles as unappealing? Such thinking is a lie. It's a lie. Unfortunately, it's a much believed one. Instead, how about if we follow God's plan and see people the way he sees them? And you know, as we do, as we look through God's lens, we'll be embracing not only his people, but we'll be drawing closer and embracing God himself. Here's how the Apostle John wrote it in his epistle in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, what we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You see, both our country and local communities uh, we live in are in crisis. And we need to confront a number of these challenges regarding aging and health care. The increased demand for expensive long-term services and support needs to be addressed. We have to face up to the issue of increasing high rate of chronic disease that that older people are going to suffer with. And the grossly inadequate personal savings for retirement and the severe undersupply of of affordable housing. And this is just a small handful of, of issues that affect us all. Maybe the biggest issue that isn't, uh, that I haven't mentioned yet is just our attitude that we take. Are we taking a biblical perspective and a biblical attitude to the, to, uh, towards those who are aging? Or are we taking the consumerism attitude that the TV wants us to think about when people are no longer deemed valuable because they're less than productive? It's a challenge for us. And if these have not impacted you personally, individually, then they certainly have affected your grandparents, your parents, your neighbors, or some of your friends. The simple truth is that for far too long, we've recognized the shifting demographics driven by the aging of this massive generational cohort, the baby boomers, and I'm one of them, coupled with rising longevity. But we've been failing to make significant investments of our time, our money, our talents, and other related resources that preserve dignity and hope and a sense of worth in old age. The, the implications can't be understated. The trend is clear. 10,000 people a day will turn 65 today and every day for the next 14 years. But society at large is not considered what this means for our nation's people, our systems, our policies, or our services. It's time for us to face the hard issues of growing, uh, the growing demand for housing, for ambulances, for meals on wheels, for financial planning tools, for health care and other infrastructures that are needed. And as a society, as policymakers, and especially as Christians, we have to act. Now, I won't leave you hanging. Here's just a few suggestions to help us get started. Because if you're anything like me, I want to do something about these things. 
One, let me suggest that you think about promoting independence, not isolation. Efforts and initiatives that support independent living are very, very helpful. They're very powerful. Helping people age in place is a positive strategy. And, uh, but the thing you have to be careful of is to make sure that it doesn't limit their access to food or medical care or active living. There's this balance between aging in place and isolation. They need to be integrated. A second thing we can do is uh, value older people as assets. We need to change our thinking and how we look at people and how we value people. So, I mean, I'm just encouraging you to look for ways to engage seniors in helping invest their time in not just themselves, but in others. Help them broaden that conversation from just their own health to the health and care of and well-being of other people. Help them use their time in ways that positively interact and impact others, whether it's a graying population or whether it's the younger generation. Engage their energies, engage their talents. Take time to listen to their stories and their experience because there's a lot of value in that. I remember uh, my father, before he died, uh, we were sitting on it. My children were still pretty young. And we were sitting around the, the table and he was telling us stories about the Great Depression. My father was born in 1918. So he lived through the, the Great Depression and, and the World Wars and, and all that kind of stuff. And when he was talking about the Great Depression, my kids were thinking that he was talking about something that dealt with Prozac, right? I mean, it was a concept that they had never been exposed to or thought about before. And when he talked about the rationing of gasoline and, and metals and rubber and sugar and those kinds of things, well, they thought that was downright un-American. They had never heard of such nonsense before. His wisdom, his experience had a leveling effect in helping them recognize just how privileged we really are. Those, there's tremendous value in those stories. So I would encourage you to, to just listen to them and engage people in, in those conversations. Um, another thing I would suggest is um, look for early interventions. Things like preventing injuries before they happen, illnesses and, and crisis situations in the lives of older adults is important to maintain their quality and their meaning of life. I read a statistic somewhere that says um, 70, like 60 to 70% of all healthcare dollars are spent in the last six months of somebody's life. Most of that's spent on these unbelievable attempts to try to extend our lifespan. And it's just driving the cost of healthcare through the ceiling. It's, it's really crazy. But oftentimes what people run into is, um, it, it, a crisis happens. Somebody falls and breaks their hip. And then you need to respond to try to give them care. And you don't know where to look or how to navigate the system. There's a lot of resources out there, but I'm finding that they're very difficult to, to navigate. They're not integrated at all. So I, what I'm encouraging you to do is just pay attention for early things that you can do um, that, that will impact the quality and the meaning of somebody's life. I mean, check out their living environment and see, are there safety rails where they're going to be walking to, to help them from tripping and falling or medication mix-ups or malnourishment? Um, we just need to start paying closer attention to the environment that our elderly loved ones live in because we can do some preventative stuff to that. Here's one that's not on this list, but it's really simple and very effective. Do yourself a favor and call somebody today or stop by and visit someone today that you know 
that's in your family or in your sphere of influence that's elderly. Maybe it's your grandma that you haven't talked to for a while or, or, you know, simple advice, call your mother, regardless of how old she is. She'll appreciate it. The interaction and the interest that we express to other people can be transformational and it doesn't cost us hardly anything at all just to be kind. So as we start to wrap up, I want you to remember aging is a process. It's not a number. It's as much social as it is biological and how we age affects our relationships and the way we think about ourselves and our place in society. Never before have we seen such long lifespans for such a large number of people. That's a reality that we're going to live with. And as a community, as a church, we've got to come to grapple with some of those issues and how we're going to deal with the opportunities and challenges presented. So with so many of our aging family members and ourselves, You know, living longer can be a blessing and a gift, but it can also be very hard when one faces poverty or housing insecurity or disability or isolation. Vulnerable seniors typically face compounding difficulties. I understand that. Sometimes they're no longer able to drive and they don't have access to public transportation. So guess what happens? They start skipping doctor's visits and they stop going to the grocery store. High cost of medications for serious health issues might result in the heat or the phone bill not being paid. We see this happening more frequently with those we serve at, at Westerville Area Resource Ministry. Personally, um, I've witnessed this aging trend firsthand as our client base of seniors has grown from less than 1% to over 14% of the people that we serve in just the last dozen years alone. And the wake-up call for me was that the way we're serving that is unsustainable at the rate it's going. When our base gets to 20 or 25% of our whole client base servicing, we can't do it the same way. So we have to face some changes. Ross also mentioned, I think, earlier that um, I've been involved with starting a community conversation in Westerville about this very subject of helping people age successfully. What does it look like? Um, Fortunately, our first meeting... We had um, 40 community leaders come together to just start addressing how we're going to deal with this issue in Westerville, Ohio. There was 15 or I think 18 different groups or agencies, the city and and police and the fire and first responders and all kinds of people. I mean, some real movers and shakers were part of that conversation. One of the first questions we asked is, who's already not at the table? because there's more people integrated and involved. And so we're starting some initiatives within our own community that start to address this issue to make our place a better place to live, particularly for those in the aging population. You know, um, quite honestly, another influence has been my own aging. I'm, I'm 62 years old, heading into the winter or the fourth quarter season of my life. I become much more aware of my own mortality My next-door neighbor, our next-door neighbor, uh, died a week from today. She was only 68 years old. I've become very aware of uh, the limited time frame that we have here. And I'm not afraid of going to heaven. Actually, I'm quite honestly, I'm looking forward to it. But I want to make the last years of my life the most productive, the most influential, the most impactful. These can be the richest years that we can give forward in helping others through the love of Christ Um, just make our place a better place to live. So I'm personally just starting to think more about 
how I want to see my later years spent and, and more importantly, how that's going to impact the ones that I love most, my family. You see, we are facing some daunting issues, but we can take great comfort in knowing the truth that Matthew's gospel tells us, Matthew nineteen twenty six, with God, all things are really possible. With every complex and new challenge, there exists an enormous opportunity to learn, to lead, to serve, and contribute meaningful improvements and some innovative solutions. Maybe they don't exist yet, but maybe God gives you that idea or that initiative that changes somebody's life. My hope today is that you, as you become more aware of it, become actively involved in improving the lives of others. Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves is maybe more true today than it has ever been. And the return, as you invest yourselves in others, on both the lives you touch and your own life, will be transformational. Please um, just pray and discern what God is leading you to do about this issue. Because um, the choices you make matter for all eternity. Pray with me, will you? Father, we're thankful for the life that you give us. I think of Psalm 139, where it says, uh, I, I praise you because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You've created us for a very purpose to be yours and your children. So we give thanks to that, Lord. We also give you thanks for the abilities and the resources that you give us to be able to share the love of Christ in practical ways and helping others. And so in the coming days, Lord, I pray that you put on our hearts someone we should call, that you put on our hearts something that we can do, that you put in our heart an idea that can help change the trajectory of this, uh, this massive trend to help improve the lives of others through the love of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I think we're going to do a Q&A session now. So Ross and Brian have joined us. Yes, we got some Q&A. Would you welcome Brian Malakowski? Some of you here last week will remember who he is. Brian works. uh, Yes. Brian works as a lawyer in legislative services for the state, uh, researching and being an expert in law and health care and aging and population and, and poverty issues. And so we felt like he might be able to help answer some of these questions really well. Here's a question that came in. I haven't gotten too many new questions this time, but here's, a, here's one question that wasn't in last service. It's, uh, my boss just put his mom on hospice. When is it okay to not take treatment? Is it honoring to not do maximum treatment even when there is no medical hope? How do we navigate that as Christians? Um, well, I would... Um the research shows, but more than research, God's word says that um, we don't have to embrace extraordinary measures, man-made measures to exp- extend our life. Ecclesiastes is clear. There's a time to be born and a time to die. That used to be a natural process for us before we had thousands of specialists on everything and go to extensive ways of trying to extend our lives. But I would say that it has to be a reasoned and thoughtful approach before you get into that situation. Because um, the survival instinct that God has put into us is a driving force to try to extend this natural life as long as possible. But from a biblical standpoint, certainly it's okay to say, I'm going to refuse treatment. I'm trusting God. And you guess what? I'm on my way to heaven. Right? That's not a bad deal. This isn't what life is all about is this physical shape that we're in. 
there is this thing called eternity, and we long for it. You did a good job. Thanks. Sure I can you can, you can say, man, all my friends said it. Nothing bad? Nothing bad? There's sometimes conflation between this and suicide, and they're really to totally different issues, and, and the heart really comes into play here. Um, for believers, you, you had the passage from 1 John 3, and shortly after that, we're called at some times to lay our life down. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's how God created us, that we're, we're going to die at some point. And for believers, death is not always the enemy. To live as Christ, to die is gain. I don't totally understand that, but um, there can be a way to, to talk about this well. Go ahead and submit any questions if you've got them. Here's another one. Uh, I want to share my experience with young people, but they so often don't seem interested. What can I do? Now, at the first service, I said, you, well, you grab by the scrawny back of the neck and you <laughs> drag them in there, but that's not the, the right political answer. But I did say it with great grace <laughs> and humor. No, um, you know, really, we do have these experiences, but I would challenge us as older folks to be sensitive to the needs of those that we're trying to talk to. And oftentimes, um, we, we take this preaching or these, these, this telling mentality instead of listening and a nurturing mentality, and there's a big difference. Um, oftentimes, too, as, as we gain um, maturity, my mother is experiencing this. Her world is shrinking. And as her world shrinks, so sometimes does her viewpoints. So she thinks she's really right on something and, and then goes into a telling mode instead of a supportive mode. Uh, I, mean, I try to practice this with, with people that we're discipling. Uh, you know, I always think I'm right and have a better idea, but there's a certain point where people are smart and they'll figure things out. There's this thing called experience and their own trust and walk with God that I think is really important that you give people time to maneuver. So I would say that the challenge is us on seniors to listen first and advise later. Yeah, maybe I would do want to share my experience, but when I'm asked, then I have permission to share. But if I inject it before it's ready, I will probably alienate and not attract. I lead a small group of guys in their 20s and 30s, and um, for whoever asked this question, um, I'm going to volunteer myself. I have a lot of guys who, who desperately want that, that gray hair pouring into them. So whoever you are, or other people with similar things. Um, I'll volunteer. I, I have guys who want that. So if you're having trouble connecting with the guy, please see me. Um, we need the, the, the experience poured into us. Um, you've heard all the things about millennials. They're not all true. But we do need good <laughs> men and women, good godly men and women, helping to shape us to, to steward the next generation behind us as well. Here's a question just came in. Comment on the attitude of many comfortably retired elderly that they deserve a retirement without responsibility. I do think that is a struggle, and I, I relate to the struggle. The older I get, the more I feel like, yeah, it would be really nice to just let all the stress of, of, of responsibility go, the stress of leadership go, all the pain that comes with that relationship stuff, and just go play golf and have fun. And I do think there is a certain amount of reward in retirement that God wants to give, but I think that's not a biblical way of thinking about life and retirement. I think a biblical way of thinking about retirement is if we can get to that place where we can lay down our jobs and not have to work for a living is 
redefining our purpose for that next period of life. What is it? See, um, I would love to see us be, as a church, the greatest mobilizer of retired people in the entire community for finding that sense of purpose and involvement. In the first service, we had one couple who have been retired 16 years, and they spend three to four days a week serving the homeless, teens and other people, and they're just really actively involved. We have others who, uh, who have given some of their administrative gifts to us in the office and, or facility stuff, and I, uh, we have several people who are retired who give us facility stuff, and actually, in the end... Because of how much they save us, they allow us they allow us to put tens of thousands of dollars into other ministry because they do stuff right. that we would normally have to pay for. That's good stuff, and and there's so much meaning to be had for our lives, but we need to help ourselves spread that word. And I would love for people to just rise up and figure out ways in our congregation to go out and reach the retired population and give a vision for a more purposeful retirement uh, to our community. We have great shining examples here of that. I would love to see us have hundreds of people who are retired mobilized to do tutoring. I mean, Project 29-7, tutoring. We should not have a kid in the whole community who does, who, who's behind age reading level because we should be able to mobilize the thousands of retired people to just sit and read a book and love on a kid. I mean, there's so much stuff that we can do in that regard. You guys want to comment? Good. Um, I'm a, a huge fan of Bob Goff, and I'm going to rip him off for a second here. Uh, I, I work in my job to provide money for my family and to care for them financially well. And Bob Goss' perspective in one thing that he wrote is, it's a bake sale that I can do my, my outside ministry, and it's just more efficient to do what I do at my work um, than trying to hold a bake sale to be able to engage in, in ministry. And if, if you're freed from that, if you have the time to invest in Project 29 to, to be with kids, that's, that's really the biblical model. The, the American idea of retirement isn't really in, in the Bible. It's, it's a transition between more physical labor of the, the Levites. At, when they hit 50, they're no longer called to throw the bulls on the altar, that they're then called to invest their time in the next generation. That's, that's the, the model in the Bible. So um, have at it. I just think this message provides us a, a great vision for who we are as a church. Yes, we're going to target and focus on reaching young people. And I think part of, part of what I hope for myself and what I hope for all of us as we grow older is that we can constantly put aside what we want to become that legacy-creating type of people where it doesn't matter if I like the music, it doesn't matter if I like whatever the style is, that I choose to invest my life in other people and become that person who mentors people. And I hope that we can be that. And I hope that we, as an, we're already an intergenerational church, I hope that we can be the best at reaching young families, and I hope that we can be the best at mobilizing and reaching and caring for the needs of the older population. And, and that's kind of what I think God is trying to say to us today. And that need for the older population, as we saw in the charts, it's going to go through the roof. That's exciting to me. What an opportunity we have 
from God as a church to make a difference and probably see many people, even in the older population, who have lived apart from Christ their entire life come to faith if we get this right. So that's the prayer I want to invite you to. Let's just stand now and let's just turn our attention to God again for a moment. We have a beautiful song that we, I think turns our hearts towards Him and then we'll close. Lord, we are just so grateful for the vision you give us to be a people of great generosity with our time, with our kindness, with our forgiveness, and Lord, with our money. Lord, even as we head into this future of such a great need among the elderly population in the next 15, 20, 30 years, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to teach us to know the joy of the generosity you've placed in our hearts because we all want to be generous with our money even. But Lord, would you teach us to manage our finances well and create wealth so that we can be radically generous to advance your gospel, to care for those in need around us in greater and greater ways as each day comes. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity today to practice that generosity by giving today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.